Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a merry little tour of misguided medicine. This is our theme song. It's always been our theme song. You forgot to say your name. There was a look at the look at the sheet music. I'm here. Look. There is no sheet music. Look at the Justin. sheet music. I've printed up. There's a whole rest right here, Justin, right there. There is no sheet and music. And I'm just McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Welcome to Sawbones. It's a merry. We already, I've we already pretty well covered that. We already have a great song. I know, but I just about wrote, medicines. That's a it's a leap motif that I'm creating, a theme that I'll return to throughout the the show to kind that's, of like score it a little bit. We have an oh. intro, but we don't have like a leap mo- leap leap motif. I thought it was a theme within a theme. Uh, it, it, like uh, a dream within, within a, a dream. dream. I'm. I don't. That's I, from I, the I, Princess Bride. I don't know much about music stuff, but you know what I do know about what? medicine. No, no, you don't know not that. That either. You actually probably know a good bit more about music than you do about medicine. That is the sweetest thing <laughs> you have said to me all day. I also really appreciate you cleaning the kitchen. Oh well, you're so I could finish researching. You're welcome. Um, I'm very grateful. Happy spring. Let's spring into spring. That's right. It's my season. It's, it's it's Sid season. Not just not spring. It's also Aries season. It's my season. Oh yeah, my birthday's coming up. I mean, yeah, the March twenty seventh. It's um, a very exciting time of year for everyone. I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what we thought we'd celebrate uh, by a fresh a fresh step um, mm-hmm. with uh, some some of your questions. Clean out a little spring cleaning of the old inbox to answer your weird medical questions. I love doing these episodes. Everyone loves listening to them. Uh, maybe not everyone, but like pretty much. Everybody. I think a lot of a lot of. So I mentioned in our last uh, questions episode that if you think of something randomly and you want to ask, don't you don't have to wait until we yes. put out a call for questions. Please feel free to send them. And it felt real. Free, you it all like. are are straight A students. Our listeners are gold star students all the way because mm. boy have they done it. I, I have so many questions. This isn't even a fraction. Don't do not be discouraged if your question is not answered. I, I have so many questions, and there's so many great ones. We'll do many, many more episodes like this. Yes. Um, these were just some of the ones I could get through <laughs> and answer. Okay, here's a question. Are you ready? Turn your brain on. Get yeah. ready. Brain's on. Here I cut go. this question in half because the first the first section of it was a little a little bit of personal details, some okay, some sweet. intimate details. I didn't know if the listener would so want included. Whatever the whatever the personal <laughs> details were. 
that got this person thinking. How do <laughs> how do hickeys go away? Would detached flesh, such as remove chest lumps, heal a hickey that's already on them? Ew, gross. Why would your mind go there? Okay. Well, the, no, if you read the first part of the... Okay. Or would the flesh have to be attached to a person with blood flow to make the marks go away? Thanks in advance, Kai B. Okay. So first of all, I thought the idea, like what hickeys are, would be good to talk about first. And the, yeah. the second part of the question, like if you have a piece of skin that has a hickey and now it's been removed for reasons like a surgery this is this is in re- so, regards to a surgery what um, i'll start there yeah do you know what a hickey is a hickey is a contusion that has been caused by the trauma of heavy suction on a part of your body that's very impressive justin thank you even you. use the word contusion oh thank you i guess yeah. i do know a little bit about medicine that is that is exactly what it is also sometimes biting can be involved i i thought hickeys were purely the suction action like it's the it's the vacuum action that causes a hickey but in a lot of the medical <laughs> journal articles i read about hickeys yeah um, when or researching top minds. this, top minds uh, they all said the the trauma from either suction or biting, and I thought, I think that's okay, just a, y'all. I think okay. that's just a bite, though. Well, I don't want to get into specifics hey. anyway. So that's what a hickey is. Perfectly so, safe, though. Not not really a big deal. So what was interesting is that like, so it's basically like a bruise. It's yeah. a it's a type of bruise, and it it will go away with time as your body resorbs. The blood. Okay. Like it's just blood under the skin and your body will resorb it. No big deal. No um, big deal. But it is an interesting question. Like post-mortem would – I mean, I know in this case we're talking about surgically removed tissue. That's not the same as post-mortem. But that, this was – you can't Google that. <laughs> can't Google that unless you, you want to do some explaining You can. You can look up post-mortem bruising though. And there are lots of forensic articles that, dis, that detail like do, like bruises do change somewhat post-mortem they do evolve to an extent and also bruises can just spontaneously occur post-mortem okay which can be really difficult to distinguish from like if you're trying to figure out like a csi case cause of death Mm -hmm. um but all that being said a bruise isn't going to go away so a hickey on a piece of skin that's been detached from a human would be there it might change but it's not going to go away i I did find fathom what the first half of that question was i i will Wonder forever for the rest of my days. Do you want me to tell you? No. Okay. I, di- I didn't, I mean, it was all in the email, so I assumed it was all for public consumption, but I don't, it just felt like personal, personal bedroom stuff hey, listen, that I, 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 I didn't know if Kai wanted to share with the world. I so. know the password. I can get in in there and look at the emails. There's no, there's no HIPAA keeping me out. I don't want to freak you out, but there have been three reported cases of strokes caused by hickeys, and one of them was fatal. Okay, so that's a thing you can just sort of think about. It's highly, highly, highly unlikely. But it would be a very so unlikely. Sydney didn't mention it. No, I, well, I mean, as I was looking this up, I I found these case reports, and I I like I cross reference, double check. They appear to be legit cases of hickeys causing like blood. Like the like breaking blood vessels, and then you get clotting in that area, and then you get a clot that goes somewhere it shouldn't go, namely your brain. Anyway, it was it, it's very rare, and and it would be very difficult for it to happen. Please do not feel like this is a reason. Hickey away. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Run the numbers. If that is something you enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I, you're consenting implied, adults. but sure. Yes, of course. Okay. So there's your answer to that question. Here's another one. Can drinking alcohol prevent slash reduce food poisoning? If I were to 
accidentally eat a piece of undercooked slash contaminated food? Uh, could I do a few shots of whiskey and kill off the microbes that can make me sick? I think I would need to be uh, liquor since beer or wine are likely not a high enough alcohol level. Uh, and I get that it cannot be so much that I get sick slash dead from the alcohol. That's for Matthew. So, okay, so beer, we're talking 5% to... Maybe your beer. Nine, okay, 9% <laughs> for Sid's beers. No, uh, I just... I that, that sounded worse than it was. I just like craft beers, and they tend to be higher gravity, especially uh, like IPAs Yeah, and IPAs and triples, you love, you love yeah. those. Um, and then, um, I mean, like wine is, I think, 14% typically, so... And whiskey. The whiskey's 40%. Something yeah. like that. It's around that. Um, okay, so no, you can't you can't prevent or treat or whatever food poisoning with alcohol. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would guess that if you if you now have been poisoned by your food and are going to be sick soon, drinking the, alcohol on top of it is, is about, not... Like Everclear, something like that. No, because, I mean, what you're talking about is like the alcohol... First of all, like the alcohol is going to be absorbed... The food and the bacteria, or whatever the toxin, mm. whatever's in there, is also going to be absorbed. You're not a bicentennial man with like plastic esophagus that could be sanitized. Yes, exactly. Yes, the, I mean, there's lots of gushy stuff in there. Everything's being absorbed. Stuff isn't like just laying on the surface of your stomach, waiting to be destroyed by alcohol. Mm-hmm. It's like moving around in there. Uh, so it just it I, I understand the thought process. I think it's an interesting question, but it would not work, um, and it would probably end up making you sick. But like you don't know. I mean that you you don't know that you've been food poisoned in the moment you're being food poisoned. You don't know until later. So use good food preparation methods. This is why I don't eat raw meat. I mean, not just raw meat. I mean, rare meat. That's what I meant. Nobody eats raw. Used well. Some people eat raw. Some people. I would not eat rare meat. I don't. I just won't. Not mm-hmm. my not my thing. She gets her hamburgers it. well done too. Got to do it. Yeah, I, I if I'm gonna eat meat, I'm I, I like it cooked. Why can't eggs be saved by freezing a whole ovary when it's removed? Why do you have to go through the whole hormone process to collect them instead? Now I think I'm a, I'm a, I think I'm a little bit ignorant of the premise of this. Can you walk us into that? Eggs is in like th- that make humans. I understand that. Okay, I don't not know like about the other the stuff, the, the hormone process to collect them. Okay, so in order to, okay, so you might want to uh, become pregnant mm-hmm. or be part of becoming pregnant, you know, either whether it's you becoming pregnant or a surrogacy situation. You might want to have a child made with your DNA okay. sometime down the road, but not now. And one thing you could consider doing is having your eggs harvested and frozen. And then you just save them for down the road okay. when you want to like can combine them with some sperm and put them back in you or someone, whatever, right? Okay. The reason that you have to take hormones before that is that you don't want to, I mean, usually you're just producing one egg at a time. Mm-hmm. That would be, it would be a lot of um, procedures over and over again every month. And so instead you're on hormones, a specific combination that will make you produce a lot of eggs all at the same time okay. so that they can harvest like 14 and freeze those Gotcha. Okay. because there is a procedure involved. I mean, it is an invasive procedure to go in and like stick a needle in through the wall of the vagina, get up to the ovary and suction out, like vacuum out the eggs. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Um, there's also hormones involved in maturing the eggs. 
to a certain extent. Like they form these big fluid-filled cysts around them and they're mature enough to like suck out of there. Oh, okay. So all of that has to happen to get the egg. So the question is like, why not just take the whole ovary and freeze it? Then you got them. Wouldn't that be easier? So this is an interesting question. And I looked into it because I was like, yeah, you know, that, that's a good point. I can think of it some different reasons, but has anybody tried this? Um, they do this actually. Now this is newer. We've, we've frozen eggs for a while. You know, we can collect sperm and freeze that. Like, those things we have frozen for a long time. But it is newer technology, the idea of, like, freezing the whole egg. Um, and one easy reason is right now your odds of, like, creating a child from that are not as good yet. Like, okay. it, it can work. There are some studies that have shown, like, you can take the egg, you can re-implant the egg— or not the egg. You can take the ovary, you can reimplant the ovary, okay. and it will work, and you can have a baby. Wow. Yes. Amazing. This has mainly been tried in, like, younger patients who have to undergo chemo. Oh, okay, yeah. That might harm future fertility, and so they have their whole ovary removed in hopes of preserving future f fertility if that's what they want. Th so, again, the subset of patients this has been tried in are younger. Um, they won't necessarily have that ovary reimplanted, like it could just be a couple years down the road. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. So like we don't necessarily know that the these aren't the same patient populations. Usually what you're talking about when freezing eggs, you're talking about people who are making the conscious decision, like I don't want to have kids yet because of whatever various factors in my life. And so I'm going to freeze these eggs for further down the road when I might want to have kids. These are young people who might still be Young people, you know, we're talking about like totally different patient populations. That's one big difference. The other thing is that um, it requires a whole surgery to take an ovary out. So it's, uh, there's higher risk. It's, it's more invasive. More there's okay. a healing time. It's more dangerous. Um, and, uh, you know, the eggs also need to mature. Nobody is, nobody could, all that we're talking about is like taking out an ovary and putting the ovary back. Nobody is taking out an ovary and trying to then, like, create the hormonal milieu to ma to mature the egg and take the egg and combine it in a Petri dish with a... You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. It, like, so far where we are is here's the ovary, put it back in a human body, and then go for it. Gotcha. Not here's the ovary, get some eggs out of it. So I think in order for the whole process to make sense, you'd have to get to that point. So for now, the eggs are just more reliable. Okay. That's good enough for me, Sid. I will abandon my efforts. It's very interesting. It's a newer area of medicine. I mean, newer. I mean, with the last couple decades. But, right. you know, it takes a long time for us to know. the scope of our show that is new. Yeah. Sure. There is a small ultrasonic cleaner at work that has a timed cycle, but sometimes an item is clean before the cycle is over. Is it safe to just stick my hand in there to grab the clean thing so I can leave the cleaner on for the other items it's cleaning? It tingles in a mildly unpleasant way, but I didn't think much of it until I stuck a finger with a paper cut in. That hurt like the dickens. Is it actually vibrating my skin off or something? Thanks, Jennifer. Now, I don't know what Sydney's going to say, but I would say that um, tingling with mild unpleasantness is nature's way of <laughs> saying, don't, don't do this thing. Do you know how an ultrasonic cleaner works? Um, I mean, broad, broad strokes probably emits ultrasonic waves waves yeah and that energy is converted into sound waves within the water within the mm -hmm. fluid water right. and sometimes a cleaning solvent right um and it's usually used in like medical or dental offices 
You may oh, have seen sure. the little metal trays with the fluid in them, and they put like equipment in them. Now, or... Is that like an autoclave? Is it different? This is different okay. because an autoclave uses pressure and heat. Mm. This is using sound waves. So this is better for like removing dirt and debris. You would, I think in, in most cases, you'd be using this in combination with an autoclave. Okay. Like you remove all the, because otherwise if you stick stuff that has like actual debris stuck to it in an autoclave, you run the risk of bacteria like hiding deep underneath stuff and it's still on there. Like mm. the, it, an autoclave is not going to clean that dirt off of it. I got you. So this cleans all the particles off and then you can disinfect it. Um, so it's part of the process. Anyway, jewelers use it, watchmakers, people use little tools. Um, so energy is generated. It's converted into sound waves. That generates millions and millions of little bubbles, okay? Okay. Now, these little bubbles have a vacuum inside, so they collapse on themselves. Okay. Okay? You're getting excited. And as they do it, they, like, collapse on themselves and smash into the thing you're cleaning. Okay. And that knocks the crap off of it. It's wild. It's wild to it's think wild. about. Yeah, that's how it removes it. This process is called cavitation. Okay. Um... So imagine that on you. And the frequency (laughs) determines the cleaning process. So a higher frequency produces smaller, gentler bubbles for, like, fine detail around instruments. If you have, like, larger things, like less detailed instruments, you might need a lower frequency to clean that. Um, Now, some of this energy is also converted into heat. This is why you don't want to stick your hand in one because – there are moments where those bubbles are extremely, extremely hot. Now, the whole over, like the fluid overall, might not feel that hot to the touch, but there are going to be moments of extreme heat generated throughout the the, the tub. So you can get burnt from sticking your hand in one of those. It wouldn't happen every time, but you could get burnt. Um, and then also, you could like from agitating forces, you could get an abrasion or something. But the burn is the reason that they tell you not to. Okay, that's fair. I won't stick my hand in it. Yeah, I'll add I'm... it to the list you've prepared for me. And you <laughs> post on many different walls in the house of things I'm not supposed to put my hand inside. I've never read about how these work, and I was so excited to read this. Uh, I've got a weird medical or perhaps nutritional question. So yesterday after an exam, one of my course mates mentioned he was on the carnivore diet, and I impl- um, implored for more info. He told me he tried it because apparently it could fix eczema. Then he talked about how carbohydrates and the fiber they contain block the absorption of vitamin C since they are processed by the same part in the intestine. That sounded like a lot uh, like pseudo horse dookie to me. I didn't want to argue since we don't know each other that well, but tell me. Is there any truth to these claims? When Googling, I only find testimonies, all claiming it does, but testimonies mean, well, nothing. Kind regards, Eleanor Schoberg. Okay. So I looked up this carnivore diet. First of all, as you have already stated so eloquently, <laughs> there is no evidence for this. There's just testimonials, which don't don't mean anything. Um, the... The carnivore diet is exactly what it sounds like. You eat meat, eggs, dairy, and fish, like seafood. Meat. That's it. That's it. That's all you, you eat. Um, supposedly, it they do skin problems are one of the big things that they claim it cures. Like other than like all the usual wellness claims, like acne, psoriasis, eczema, those are all main among the things that they claim it will fix. They say that it does this in two main ways. There's a lot, I mean, there's a whole book about it, but like. 
generally it reduces insulin, mm-hmm. which is similar to like the keto kind of mindset, right? Okay. Right. Um, like a low carb kind of thing. I mean, there's no carbs here. And, no carbs here, friends. And, uh, and it reduces inflammation, which is wild since there are so many people who will tell you that dairy causes inflammation. This is, this is a proponent saying that dairy absolutely reduces inflammation. Mm. Um, the insulin argument, like I said, is similar to keto. The inflammation part is based on the idea that plants contain anti-nutrients. Ah, this sounds good. And these anti-nutrients can block the absorption of nutrients. Huh. So you you need to not eat plants because of their dangerous anti-nutrients. And I mean, I, I didn't see specifically vitamin C mentioned, but I think that that falls into the, the yeah. line of thinking. And it might be in the book. I did not read the whole book. There's a book by a guy, Paul Saladino, who allegedly is an MD, who, um, <clears throat> I mean, I'm not saying he's not. It's after his name. Sometimes I get frustrated. They, I, I tell you, they'll just give these MDs out to anybody. Um but he is author of The Carnivore Code. Uh, he It looked like he wrote a keto book, and now he's writing about this. And he claims that it fixed all his skin stuff. His, his top image is him chatting with Joe Rogan, the top image mm-hmm. on his website. That sounds about right. And uh, and you can buy his book, and there's probably other stuff he'll sell you, I'm sure. And he has some very bad takes on COVID, by the way. I was looking through his oh, Facebook page surprising. to learn about this, and there's some really, like, bad COVID misinformation about, I mean, sort of leaning to that, like, masks don't work, we should go for herd immunity, don't push vaccines on people because they don't really work anyway. I mean, like, really, great, really, and he's an MD, and so it's so frustrating because people will see that and think, like, well, an MD says, and it's, I mean, really bad COVID misinformation among his carnivore diet. So I guess the carnivore diet is maybe the the less harmful thing that he's put out there. But um, I know of no evidence that says you should just eat meat and and dairy and eggs all the time to fix your skin problems. I'm sure you'll find some people who would say that. And you'll find people, by the way, I know people personally who said that giving up dairy fixed their skin problems. So... I think that the human body is way more complex than just put meat in it. You'll be fine. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of data that plant-based diets are associated with longevity um, over meat diets. So I I do not think that um, the carnivore code has it figured out. I imagine my surprise, Sid, honestly. I... Dustin, I want to tell you. So promising. I want to tell you the question my mom asked me. Okay. But first, we got to go to the milling department. <laughs> Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed. But we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door. And not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle or whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. We're going to get this. 
truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously, from 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 a, a box pre-prepared, all I got at two minutes, I mean, filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. I'm a psychic. My name is Psychic Carrie. I'm yes. Ross. Oh, what a pleasure to meet you. Of course, I knew your name was Ross, as I am a psychic. But please take a yeah. seat. Well, I was hoping we, we hoping could, talk about could talk about my, my podcast. podcast. Yes, I know. It's called Oh No, Ross and Carrie. Yes, we investigate from uh-huh. science, spirituality, yeah. and claims of the paranormal. You, you took the words right out of my mouth. Yes, this whole podcast. It sounds like it's been a real challenge for you lately. Actually, it's a lot of fun. Yes, exactly, because it's so fun. I don't know how you do it. This will be $75. Okay. That seems fair. Oh, no, Ross and Carrie. At MaximumFun.org. You knew it was a .org. I have a gift. Schmanners. Noun. Definition. Rules of etiquette designed not to judge others, but rather to guide ourselves through everyday social situations. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Every week on Schmanners, we take a look at a topic that has to do with society or manners. We talk about the history of it. We take a look at how it applies to everyday life. And we take some of your questions. And sometimes we do a biography about a really cool person that had an impact on how we view etiquette. So join us every Friday and listen to Schmanners on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? Welcome to the show, Mary Smurl. I guess virtually. 
speaking. Um, what 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 did your mom want to know? My mom asked, uh, "Should I get a fourth COVID vaccine?" And I thought it was a good question to address generally because I mean I've gotten five, so. Well, yes, we were in a study, so we've gotten a lot. Um, but there is recent, there have been news reports I've seen. I saw like a New York Times article mentioning. I mean, there have been some big articles mentioning that a fourth vaccine is probably going to be needed. Yes. Um, certainly Moderna and Pfizer both feel that there is because I they have. I bet they would. <laughs> no, don't start that. They've submitted data to. When do we get to turn back on Big Pharma, Sydney? It's, you know, <laughs> the the problem is complexity is the enemy with good public health communication. And these are very complex, nuanced topics. Um, but right now we just need people to do the best, safest thing to save lives. So it's hard to get into, right? Yeah, like, it's hard to get into the weeds with all the complex, nuanced topics. Yeah. All right. Um, we'll let it slide. So... They both submitted uh, data to the FDA to request an emergency use authorization for a fourth dose of their vaccines. Pfizer is specifically aiming at the 65-plus population. Moderna's would be for all adults. Okay. Um, They are saying that there is a time period, I think like six months-ish, where immunity wanes and we need another booster. So if they just submitted last week, if this is approved— Pfizer would say if you're 65 and older or have certain, I'm sure, I I didn't see that in the article I was reading, but they may have some other caveats that you need a fourth booster or a fourth shot. And Moderna would say adults need a fourth shot. So not yet do you need a fourth vaccine. Now, this is different, by the way, from some people were put, like with immunocompromised conditions, were put on a four-dose regimen already. They got three main primary doses and then a, booth, a booster later. This is a whole other thing. Would this be a booster? This would be another booster. This would be another booster. It, at some point, won't we get into like a rhythm with this? Like mm-hmm. where, where we don't just have to keep doing emergency use, author, emergency use authorizations. This isn't strange. There are many things that we get multiple vaccines for. Yeah. Like if you think about the childhood series of vaccinations – you're getting multiple shots for the same disease to prevent the same diseases over and over again throughout your childhood. So this isn't like weird this is building or rare. To us having it annually. We're just well. I think that we're figuring that out. Okay. I think that we are perfecting the technology. I think that as we as we produce new vaccines, hopefully we will see things that we will find vaccines that can um, cover more than one strain, more than one variant, I should say, in one. You know what I mean? So that we know, oh, this will be good against all the next variants that are likely to come out this season, much like we do with the flu vaccine. I would think eventually we'll be in a situation where you would get a yearly COVID, maybe even a combo, COVID flu shot. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Just get it all at once. Um, But I I do think that vaccines are, but I mean, if, if it's a vaccine that you get, I don't care how many times a year if it saves my life. Yeah. I you know? Yeah. But anyway, you don't need a fourth vaccine right this minute, but I, heck by the time this airs, they may have put out the EUAs, so I would I would pay attention, keep up to date on this. The CDC will announce it, the FDA will announce it. I'm sure there'll be big news stories. I'm sure all sure. your local health departments and public health agencies will be talking about it. But just be aware that there may be recommendations for a next for another booster coming soon. 
Sid, why do older people need more fiber? What's up with older people and BM regularly? <laughs> At an age, do these problems usually start? What's your take on supplements versus eating more fibery foods? Is your diet already well, not perfect, but healthier than average? And good luck in your race. Hopefully soon to be set state delegate Sydney. That's from Kirsten. So there are actually reasons, not just because like. Old. No. <laughs> just old. What? I mean. Once you pass 40 or so, your body starts trying to sweep you away. To make room for the next generation. This is just another facet of that. So You're at it's war. actually, this actually, most of these things don't happen until your 60s or 70s, but I guess, f- I'm I guess just, there's I'm not more. saying that system specifically. I'm just saying like mm. the systems start shutting down to try to get you out of the planet. Go on, so, make room. So some things do happen <laughs> that are age related. Like, so to move stuff along in your intestines, it's like a series of waves, peristalsis that sort of like squishes the stuff on its way down. Um, that does slow down as as we get older. We know that there is some, not for, and it's not the same rate for everybody, the same pace. Some people might never have a problem, but generally speaking, it does tend to slow down a little bit, which can lead to some problems with constipation. Um, different medications can cause constipation, and as we get older, we're more likely to be taking meds. Um, some people are younger, but as we get older, most of us will end up needing something. Um, lack of activity. So if you're also dealing with things that limit your mobility, like arthritis or something, Movement, move, getting around is one of the things that stimulates your bowels to move. So less activity, less bowel movements. Um, changes in diet. You know, as we get, our, our diet tends to decrease, like our appetite, sorry, tends to decrease a little bit as we get older. So just eating less or eating different foods. Um, decreased fluids. We also tend to, our thirst goes down a little bit. So those are all reasons why it is it is an issue. Now, as far as where you should get your fiber, if you're eating plenty of fiber in your diet, there's no need to also take a supplement. But if you think you're eating plenty of fiber in your diet and you're still constipated, then I would take a supplement because maybe you're not, you know. Maybe for you, it's it's so much fiber that you're just naturally not going to eat that much and you should take a supplement. Um, I would say one is not necessarily better than the other if we're talking fiber supplements. Now, if we're talking like laxatives – Obviously, if you can get those things moving without the use of a laxative, that's better for your bowels. Um, but bowel regularity is really important. I'm a research assistant in a translational research lab while my roommate works for a holistic health doctor. We're on what feels like opposite sides of medicine. She doesn't fully trust modern medicine, and I think her boss is a quack. I like this because it sounded like a sitcom. Yeah. We fell in love. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> recently, she told me that the holistic doctor diagnosed her with three different things based on her tongue alone. I thought this sounded like bull crap, but I don't know enough about the diagnosis process to back it up. What's the diagnosis process actually look like? Can you properly diagnose someone just by looking at a tongue? Love the show so much, Julia. Okay, so there is a, a whole branch of traditional Chinese medicine that is tongue diagnostics. Like that connects different, like the tongue is sectioned out into different organ systems. Like phrenology or well, reflexology. Or reflexology, more accurately. More like accurately, the, yeah. the idea that you can touch a part of your foot and it connects to some part of your body, it's the same idea for the tongue. Um, and uh, so that, I don't know if that's what this holistic doctor may be pulling from. Maybe. But, and you can look up, there are different diagrams for that where it's like different, um, they actually have the different aspects that they break it down into. It's the tongue... Color, shape, coating, moisture, and spirit or vitality. 
has to do with how much it like moves or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and where it is corresponds to problems in those parts of the body. That is not really something that I would have any familiarity with or be able to comment on because it's not part of mm-hmm. allopathic medicine, the tradition of medicine that I am fluent in. <laughs> right, okay. Um, I would say that there's not a lot of evidence for that. So... <laughs> I, if that is what is that is what the holistic doctor is practicing, I, I, I wouldn't know of any evidence for that. Now, I, I will say there is, like, stuff we can tell from the tongue. Sure. You know? If it's green, the kid's probably just had a blue pop, <laughs> for example. Uh, yes. that I mean, yeah, that. But also, like, um, a pale tongue, you know? There, and I think that's actually one of them. They talk about, like block like not enough blood flow or something like that and i think if you're talking about like anemia that's not usually something we see but i guess like if you looked inside the mouth and it was pale that could be a sign of anemia um yellow under the tongue could be the first sign of jaundice like liver disease white patches could be yeast a red tongue that looks a little swollen could be a b12 deficiency um if we see ridges on the side of your teeth on the side of your tongue from your teeth your tongue is enlarged normally don't see that Mm. Um, so, I mean, there, there are a number of things that we could look at a tongue and say, huh, that is a sign. It's not a symptom because you didn't tell me about it. It's a sign because I noticed it and it is worth investigating, but I would never diagnose. I mean, unless I saw like I, my tongue hurts and I looked at your tongue and I saw like an ulcer on your tongue and I was like, yes, you have an ulcer on your tongue. This is why your tongue hurts. There's the diagnosis. Yeah. Short of that, no, I would not diagnose a systemic illness of any kind by just simply looking at your tongue. It may be a sign that I would want to further investigate, um, but there's no evidence that you can just look at someone's tongue and tell them about other body systems based on that necessarily. Hi, Dr. McElroy and Justin. Is it true that if you put garlic uh, on your feet, you can taste it in your mouth? I saw this on a game show, and it sounds ridiculous to me. Thanks, Andy. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No, it just reminded We talked about reflexology and tongue diagnosis. It sort of reminded me of that. No, you can't. You can't taste it in your mouth. I mean, if there is a garlic, what I would wonder is, like, if you cut garlic or peel garlic fresh in the room, like, you can have all those volatile sort of compounds released into the air. And garlic is such that when you it's when you smell it strongly enough, you are tasting it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, I could see how you could trick somebody into thinking that. Um, but no. No. Not really a weird question, per se. But I often have the thought, I'm going to show this episode to people in the case being uh, vaccine skeptics and deniers. Uh, I've been listening to the episodes on measles, bumps, and rubella, and I was wondering if there's some trusted go-to sources I can give to people that scream, cite your information at me when I try to tell them that vaccines don't cause autism and contain less mercury than fish. I know there are studies, medical journals, etc., but where can I find them? Also, I realize these people are probably not going to read my sources, but I'd still be able to like to pull them out when necessary. Thanks. I love and learn so much from your show. It's M, they, them. Uh, so this is a great question because I don't think it is feasible to tell most people, like, I want you to go find the New England Journal article from this, you know, this year, this mm-hmm. date, whatever, and read this journal article. I mean, it's just not – medical journal articles, as you may imagine, are incredibly dense. Mm-hmm. And even as somebody well-versed in medicine in the medical profession, like – they can be overwhelming to read sometime and take a while to parse. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is why we do whole journal clubs where we take articles and sit down and dissect them as a team and go through them so that we learn the most we can from them and see if we, like, notice flaws or questions we have or things we felt like weren't answered appropriately. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think what is, for me, a a good go-to, especially to focus on vaccines, because that seems to be the main question, um, the CDC collects articles that specifically address these sorts of misinformation. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you go to the CDC, they have an entire section on autism and vaccines. Mm-hmm. And not only do they obviously state firmly vaccines do not cause autism, they have the links to all of the different studies that have been done through the years, many, 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 that say over and over again, vaccines don't cause autism, the ingredients in vaccines don't cause autism. Um, and they have a list, like, if you want to read the actual articles, they have them all right there, clickable. You just follow the links and you can find them all. And they have similar stuff for fainting after vaccines. Is it okay to get multiple vaccinations at once? Um, The historical vaccine safety concerns is on there. Thimerosal, uh, vaccines and pregnancy. So all these different things that people might throw up as like, I heard this, I heard that, I heard this. You, if you feel so inclined, you can go look at one of these topics and there will be a whole list of articles. So that generally that is where I will, I will first go to combat the misinformation, especially on the show when we're talking about these kinds of things, mm-hmm. because then I can follow those links and read some of the articles. But for most people, you don't really need that. You just need, you know, kind of a place to go and say, look at all the studies. They're probably uh, not going to read them, but you can say, look right here. Look at all the studies. I have a, I have a great resource that I'm surprised you didn't highlight because we've raised uh, a lot of money for them over the years. Well, this is a great... <laughs> What? Well, that's a good point, Justin. <laughs> well, yes. There's also immunize.org, which is an organization that we've been uh, <laughs> raising money for, uh, for uh, with our uh, uh, vaccines, T-shirts and bumper stickers and pens and you name it. Immunize.org, formerly the Immunization Action Coalition. But if you go to immunize.org, they have sections about anything you could want. There's like, this is maybe better for like laymen like myself, but they have stuff for doctors too. There's like a talking about vaccines area on the header where they have like every possible question. They have printable handouts. They have, it's all very well uh, organized and this is all they do. So. And they cover some stuff like um, religious concerns and things that aren't covered um, in some of that CDC information that I saw. So I guess that's a good point. I was thinking, where did I find the studies there's That's like, where I found yeah. the studies. But and, this is probably a better resource um, for somebody who's not necessarily a healthcare professional, mm-hmm. who do, who isn't going to want to read a study. Yes. This is a great, like, tell them to go here and poke around and they'll find everything they could possibly want. And you can print out some stuff and go slam it down their desk and say, here, I got this off the internet. And, the, and they have sections for health professionals, for the public, for coalitions. So there are different tabs you can click on to, like... You know, and they have look at that. They've even got testimonials. Yeah, the real We're speaking stuff. their language. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean they let <laughs> people on the other side love testimonials. Whenever, hey, look, we whenever. got evidence and testimonials. We got them both. Hey, thank you so much for your questions. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Um, I love doing these. I feel like I learn a lot, and they're a lot of fun. Um, thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song "Medicines" as the intro and outro. But that's a little trivia for you. It's it's both the intro and outro. Um, we wrote a book. It's called the Sawbones Book. Uh, illustrations by Sydney Sibling Taylor. Um, they're very. It's a very good book. 
Uh, I think you can buy it wherever you get books. Uh, if you go to MacquarieMerch.com, you can find some Sawbones merchandise as well as uh, we're having a mystery pin sale uh, th- this month. So you can get a – oh, that's actually sold out. I'm sorry. So you got to act fast. These uh, This, this Macquarie merchandise it goes quick. So you can check that totally out. And uh, that is going to do it for us. So until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.